show us Christ more clearly and compel us, Lord, by your love to love one another. Uh, we need this. We need your word. It's food for the soul. And so we ask now that you would be with us as we turn our attention to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now uh, to our text. We're looking. We're going to be looking at First uh, Corinthians. Uh, chapter 15. I, I mentioned this last week that we'll hit the gospel accounts when we get to them in the gospel of Mark as we work through the gospel of Mark. So I thought we would look at Paul's uh, great exposition on the resurrection uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. Now we won't be reading the whole of it. Um, we'll be pulling out uh, pieces of it. And I have to admit that's kind of hard because the whole chapter holds together. It's one sort of long um, argument, um, but we'll try and touch on it as best as we can. Um, so we're going to be reading the first four verses, and then we're also going to be looking um, at verses 42 to 54, that last section. So with that, let's turn to the, to the reading of God's word. Hear God's word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. All right, we're going to move to verses 42 to 54. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What, so, it is, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And was the man of the, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are dust. As it is, as, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Again, we ask that you would uh, bless its reading and the preaching of it, and that you would show us Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. As of this morning, uh, some 530 plus thousand people in the United States have contracted coronavirus, and some 20,000 plus have died from it. Worldwide, the number of infected is closing in on 2 million, with over 100,000 deaths. It has only been four months. That's it. Meanwhile, we're all holed up in our homes till, I don't know, till who knows. I don't know of you out there who does your grocery shopping, um, but I've done quite a bit of it in our household. And I I just had to share a little bit of this because I'm sure it's an experience we've all had. While I'm shopping, I have this heightened sense of people, like where they are, what they're doing. Never had that experience before. That's new where I'm worried about getting too close to somebody else. I give wide berths. I wait to go down aisles. I hold my breath. I'm now wearing a mask. Um, These are things I could never have dreamed of before. And And I am generally not a fastidious person. Um, as my family is laughing at right now. Um, but now while I'm out, I find myself obsessively uh, putting on hand sanitizer and wiping down shopping carts. And, and my guess is that someday we'll go back to the videos of all the paranoid behavior and laugh a little bit. Um, but right now it doesn't feel so funny. And sure, you know, we all will watch... Um, YouTube videos and laugh at highlights of the absurdity of all of it to sort of break the tension. But underlying, underlying our laughing, underlying um, that sort of humorous side is a deep anxiety. But it is an anxiety not just rooted in the fear of contracting uh, COVID-19. I, I think it's a universal anxiety about death and dying about ourselves dying, about our loved ones dying. It is about our friends dying and our coworkers dying. We're even worried about uh, the celebrities and public figures. We find ourselves deeply anxious and worried about death. If anything, this global pandemic has shown a bright light onto a problem that is always present. We are dying, just the reality of it. This pandemic will pass someday, but death will remain. The Lord cursed Adam in the garden after the fall, saying, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. I'm not sure there were any more painful and shocking words to the first hearers of those words. Adam and Eve, gloriously alive with all the blessings of God at their fingertips, they had access to the tree of life. Adam and Eve rebelled. 
against their creator. And now we, as Adam's heirs, like Adam, are dust to dust. COVID-19 is simply a means by which God is reminding us of our sinful state and the frailty of our being. And we have a choice at this moment. With the veil pulled back on the true condition of things, we have a choice. We can continue to be full of dread over our mortality. We can do that. Or we can look to Jesus, the risen Lord. We can cower before the grave, or we can say with the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is risen from the dead. And this is what I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to consider the hope of the resurrection. First, I want us to see the thing of first importance that the Apostle Paul points out. Secondly, we'll look at from dust to glory, the, the body in, in its relationship to glory. And then finally, I want to think about victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. So first, the thing of first importance. In this very lengthy exposition on the necessity and the hope of the resurrection, the Apostle Paul highlights at the very outset the thing that he has preached from day one, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, commentators uh, ponder what precipitated this exposition. Um, up to this point in Paul's letter, he has been addressing various issues in the church at Corinth, and there were quite a few of them. Um, there was division in the church based on leadership. There was scandalous sins that hadn't been confronted, confronted and dealt with. There were problems surrounding uh, selfishness during the Lord's, the taking of the Lord's Supper. Um, the, the saints in Corinth needed to be reminded to love one another and to serve one another. There were issues about the use of spiritual gifts in the body, like prophecy and speaking in tongues. And this is just to name a few of the problems in Corinth. If you study any of the Pauline epistles, you'll know this is maybe the church that he spent the most time chastising, um, and for good reasons. But, um, but here he shifts. He moves to the defense of the resurrection. And it seems a little bit out of the blue. He turns abruptly from talking about maintaining orderly worship to the resurrection. And he opens this part of his letter by reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he has preached and in which they stand and by which they are being saved. And he commands them to hold fast to it. And so that begs some questions. What, what's Paul getting at? What's the problem that's underlying this? Maybe some were wavering on the truth of the resurrection. Maybe some were starting to doubt the very core, the very foundation of their faith. Maybe it was these doubts about the resurrection that impacted the way they treated one another and why they fell into various sins. And what is the core doctrine exactly? Well, Paul states it very concisely. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. It's possible 
that this is an early creedal statement that Paul is stating, that has been stated before, and Paul is restating to them. But even if this is the first time that it was written down in this form, nevertheless, it is the heartbeat of our faith. This is the very core or center of our faith. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. It's interesting, after dealing with all the nitty-gritty problems in Corinth, Paul saves his most significant, grandest discussion for the last. Jesus was raised from the dead. Everything sets on this truth. Faith, hope, and love depend on it. It is the thing of first importance. Paul will even say as much in the intervening verses, which we, we, di- we didn't read, but he'll go on and he'll argue that if Christ were not raised, our faith is futile, that we're still in our sins, that any believer who died is dead dead, and our hope is only in this life. And so we, as Christians of all the people of the earth, ought to be most pitied. That's how big a deal this is. Now, I, you know, as COVID-19 comes and we think about that or we think about cancer or we think about heart disease or whatever else brings death upon us and our loved ones, um, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ rising again from the dead, that power, that power of, of death and disease is the most certain force in all the earth. That's it. The most powerful, certain force in all the earth is death itself. Now, some of you may be joining us this morning who are curious about Easter. Um, And and maybe you don't attend a church, um, and maybe you've been nervous to attend a church. But, you know, this, this time when all the churches are streaming their services gives you an opportunity to kind of kind of jump around and observe various church services. Maybe you've been invited here and we're very glad that you're here um, and listening in. And so you're hearing things that you're uncertain about. You're, you're not sure. But I want to ask you if you've wrestled with death. At this moment in time, as mortality seems so much closer to the surface of our world, surface of our world, my question to you is, where are you finding your comfort? Is it in your fleeting pleasures, many of which you can't even do right now? Is it in your accomplishments, your worldly accomplishments that seem to be crumbling around us at this very moment? Is it in friends, family? Friends, death doesn't care. The grave is inescapable. In fact, Scripture tells us that this death, this overwhelming power and force in this earth is a direct result of our sin, of our rebellion against God, the one who made all things, and the same God that permitted this complete shutdown that we're going through right now in the world. He is a God who is holy and righteous and powerful. Our sin, Scripture teaches, deserves the wrath and curse of God, and fundamentally it deserves death. But here's the good news. 
It isn't the case that Jesus died and was buried. Stop. It wasn't the case that Jesus was died and was buried and that was it. The earth shook, the stone rolled away, and Jesus came out of the tomb. He is risen as surely as the sun crests over the horizon day after day. So is the certainty that Jesus rose again from the dead. And the text says that he appeared to Peter and the disciples. We know that he appeared to Mary. And further on, Paul will say he appeared to 500, some of whom were still alive at that day, many of whom were still alive at that day. And we stand together with the saints throughout history and around the globe and declare this truth of first importance. Jesus is risen from the dead. Death does not have the last word. It is not the most certain power and force in this world. And in this truth, we take great comfort. And this brings me to my second point, the nature of that great comfort from dust to glory. The resurrection of Jesus changes us fundamentally. We are no longer what we once were and what we are now is not what we will be. All right, catch that. Let me say it again. As believers, we are no longer what we once were. And what we are now is not what we will be. This is sort of the argument that, that, that the Apostle Paul makes. Maybe not in those words um, exactly, but I want to use that language to kind of talk about uh, what we see here in the text. So let me break it down. We are no longer what we once were. And, and the question is, so what were we, Right. At the outset of the sermon, I quoted from Genesis 3, where God cursed Adam and said, dust you are and to dust you shall return. You see, every one of us is born in Adam. Every one of us is but dust to dust. In fact, all of creation is under the curse. It reminds me of that great song by Kansas, a 70s rock band called Dust in the Wind. And I'm just going to quote it. It's a pretty short song. Uh, Kansas said this, I have no idea what they believed or anything, but what they said rings true. They said, I close my eyes only for a moment and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes, a curiosity, dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Now don't hang on, nothing lasts forever, ever, but the earth and sky, it slips away, and all your money won't another minute buy dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind. There is a fleeting nature to our life in Adam, but it's more than just fleeting. That's the sense you get from that song, which, you know, it's a song. Um, it's degrading. It's devolving. The Apostle Paul uses the language of perishable. Um, one thing that's hard to keep around the house if you're trying to not go to the store so often are perishables. Things like fruit and vegetables, they go fast. And since we're trying to go to the grocery store as little as possible, they run out and we're first forced uh, with eating non-perishables more so. Um, 
And we are more likely to eat things that are a little gone by so as not to waste those precious fruits and vegetables. Things like bananas go by really fast, don't they? There is this brief moment when they're, they're absolutely spectacular. They're amazing. And then they become banana bread down the road. Paul says, we are sown perishable. For a moment, we have what seems like life. And then before you know it, our bodies are in decay. Uh, anybody who's lived at any, pretty much any length of time, maybe teenagers notwithstanding, um, or withstanding, whatever, however that goes, um, uh, we know this intimately with our bodies. But Paul doesn't just talk about our bodily decay in some circle of life metaphor. He goes on and he says our bodies are sown in dishonor. Here, the reason for the decay and perishability is brought to light. Dust to dust is not just some natural course of events. It is the unnatural effect of sin on our world and on our bodies. And it's right to lament our decay, to see it as part of the the ravaging effects of sin. It is the sign of death's power. But here's the good news. We are no longer what we once were. Now, Paul doesn't say that we won't die. In fact, the imagery of planting is the picture of being buried. It's the picture of death. The body is decaying, but he's also painting a picture of planting. It's springtime, and around our house, maybe because we're afraid that if we don't plant vegetables that we won't have food or something, I don't know. Um, But we're planting all sorts of things. Um, And you put the seed in the ground, and there's nothing for a long time, and you just hope it kind of raises up. Paul is using that imagery of a seed. And he's saying that, that we're being planted. And in that, there's hope. There's imagery of new growth, of new life. In other words, Paul is calling the believer a seed. Yes, a decaying, dying seed. But planted to be raised from perishable to imperishable from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, from natural body to spiritual body. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a hope beyond the decay, beyond the perishable, beyond the dishonorable and weak, beyond this broken physical body with all its proneness to disease and to death. So even now, as our body is wasting away, if you will, as we get older and our ailments grow, as, as diseases spread across the globe, as, but as believers in the midst of that decay, we know that we will be planted to rise again. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, that life-giving spirit, the one who gives us his image, who imprints it onto us, that man of heaven, we have hope. And and honestly, um, the result of this is something words just can't do justice to. We are not what we will be. We are not what we will be. Yes, the pandemic is raging across our globe. We'll take believers and unbeliever alike. Many will be buried and returned to dust 
just as we all will be buried and return to dust at some point in time. But friends, Jesus is that heavenly man, the resurrected Lord, the one who has defeated death and gone before us and who beckons us to himself. And the call is to trust, to rest in that heavenly man, this one who can raise up the imperishable and raise us up imperishable and raise us incorruptible. And what does this mean for those who trust in this risen, glorious, incorruptible Savior? It means that there will be no more disease, no more death, no more old age and sin and sorrow and strife, that it can never touch you again. It means that you are the inheritor of all the blessings of heaven. It means that today, even as our bodies waste away, as a seed that the Lord himself plants to regrow, it means that we don't need to fear. It means that there is victory over the grave. And this brings me to my final point and conclusion. There is a day coming when death will finally and forever be done away with. About a month or so ago, the Reverend Stephen Tracy preached about that day, the day of... uh, when death itself will be swallowed up and all of the pain and suffering will be done away with. The Apostle Paul says that even if that day comes tomorrow, and to be clear, we don't know the day or the hour, but if that day comes tomorrow, those in whom the spirit of the heavenly man dwells, those who are connected to this risen Lord by faith, those who put their trust in Jesus will be transformed. And it'll go just like that, like the blink of an eye, like the twinkling of an eye. Just like that, Jesus crushes sin and death forever. I think one of the challenges that we face today is waiting. It's the decaying. It's the longing. It's still facing that final enemy. And it's hard because Death and disease are real. They're painful. We see it all over, all around us. And it reminds us of the effect of sin in this world. And it ought to remind us of our own sin, my sin and your sin. And so in that sense, it hurts to see it all around us. And death and sickness and disease cause real sorrow and grief. Even our Lord Jesus, as he hung on the cross and died, as he bore the weight of the curse for us, he cried out in anguish and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, even he experienced this death undeservedly. And his mother watched and she grieved. And his disciples despaired and ran. Then they huddled together in that room, undone, uncertain. Until that glorious Sunday morning, when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and the heavenly man appeared risen, and glorious as the great victor over death, death was swallowed up that day. 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is real. Sickness and disease are real. Grief and sorrow, sorrow are real. Our sin is real, but they do not have the last word. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through him. Friends, don't lose heart. Apostle Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Even as you waste away and you walk by faith in this broken world, enduring the suffering and the longing and the waiting, we know that it is not in vain because our Redeemer lives. Hallelujah. He is risen.